This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. All right. Now I just got to shut that thing off. What's up? <laughs> What's up, guys? What's going on? What's happening? Oh, we Not are here. Freezing cold up here. I know that. Freezing cold. Yes. 25 it's- below with wind chill. What's it there in Costa Rica, JR? It's probably about 66, 68. It's a little bit chilly. Screw you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> It's 35 degrees below zero wind chill where I'm at, but no travel advised. Wow. I don't know how y'all do it. I really it's don't. creepy and gross. Yep. Very <laughs> creepy and gross. Well, for those of you watching or that are with us to this point, if if you notice a little snafu at the beginning, that's because I, uh, I had my video clips section in the user's control uh hidden so it was minimized so i couldn't see our intro video but i'm new and now i need to practice i freaking practiced this afternoon you guys which is a sad thing uh brett is not with us tonight because brett and his beautiful wife chrissy and their daughter there also just welcomed a new member of the family say hello to jules hi jules and she, Jules Magnolia Morris. She oh, is a beautiful, name. beautiful name. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, they just, they're just getting released from the hospital and stuff today. So she's going home. She's healthy. And I'm sure they need some rest. <laughs> I know that's right. Awesome. And we miss you, Brett. And hopefully I don't butcher this anymore. I had my one mistake right out of the gate. Talk about getting somebody shook and feeling like they're <laughs> incapable. But I I picked it up. I, I got it. It's all good. <laughs> Where is our third amigo at? Uh, Ashley is not here yet. Hasn't answered my message. But, uh, you know, she might pop in. She might pop on. Dang Let's her. See. She's back on AG time. <laughs> we used to call it tweaker time. But she's not a tweaker. <laughs> Amy Lundgren is our guest tonight. Say hi, Amy. Hello. And uh, JR has graced us with his presence all the way from Costa Rica. What's up, buddy? What's going on? I'm glad my exile is officially over tonight. I'm glad to rejoin the show. Dude, uh, JR just got promoted, you guys. He was going to leave Costa Rica, and now he is staying in Costa Rica. Hopefully, hopefully. Congratulations, man. Thank yeah, you. that's huge, JR. Congrats. I love Costa Rica, man. It's a beautiful place. I bet. That's what I do. It's paradise. Have you met my buddy Omar yet? No, no. I keep uh, hearing his name. Um, I know he's around here somewhere. I'll reach out to him soon. Dude, you got to meet him. He's cool as hell. Yeah. And then watch. You guys are going to become fast friends, and I'm going to be jelly. <laughs> When I have to move down there when my kid turns 18. 
Come on down, man. It's where I belong. You'll never <laughs> leave. You'll be like me. Never leave. Yeah. I am going home for Christmas, though. Well, that's good. Family's important. Yes, it is. Man. So, Amy's here. She's from Minnesota as well, just like me. Minnesota. Minnesota. We're, we're cold as hell up here. <laughs> Go Vikings. Biggest, what was that? The biggest, the biggest comeback? comeback game in NFL history. Fuck. I was like, there's, there's no way they're coming back from that shit. I, I said, know, there's no way they're coming back from it. And I left. And then when I got to my buddy's house, they were in overtime. And I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> 33 to zero. Yeah, shit was crazy. When I left the house, it was 33 to 21. And my girlfriend's mom's like, watch. And I said, dude, yeah, great. They pumped out a few right away. But I'm like, dude, I'm telling you right now, like, that's a hard deficit to come back from. Yeah, it like, is. You think they can do it? Do you think they can keep it going? Shit. I was like, there's plenty of time left, but, you know. And, yeah, they fucking won. Wow. Yep. That shit's crazy. Amy, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, my name's Amy Lundgren. I was born in Grand Island, Nebraska. Um, moved from there to Scotts Bluff. Moved from Scotts Bluff to Lincoln, and then to Lincoln from Omaha, or from Lincoln to Omaha. <clears throat> um, I had a lot of issues growing up. Um, I was molested by my babysitter when I was five years old and then again at seven. And um, from that time on, I had like behavior problems and I was a, I was a, I was a problem child from then on. Um, my teenage years, um, it got hectic. I spent Lots of times coming in and out of psychiatric units because that's where I felt the safest was locked in a psychiatric unit. Um, so I spent many times in and out, in and out, in and out until eventually the state of Nebraska and my parents decided that I needed a long-term residential treatment center. And they sent me to, um, they sent me to Broomfield, Colorado, to a place called Cleo Wallace Center. And I was there for three years. Um, there, they used me as a medicine guinea pig. They gave me all sorts of different medications that um, a, a preteen should not have. Um, they strapped me to a bed numerous times. Um, they locked me in a quiet room. <clears throat> um, I just, I've had so much trauma. And then when I was 10 years old, I, I found my dad's liquor cabinet in the kitchen and I took a drink and I felt amazing because it, it made me forget everything. It made me forget my, my childhood abuse. It made me forget everything. And from the first drink, I hindsight, I knew I was an alcoholic because I loved it. I love, 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 loved it. And then I spent like 
35, 40, maybe even 40 times in and out of the psych unit after that. Then when I finally came back to Minnesota from Colorado, my parents had moved from Omaha to Edina um, in 1989, I think. And I was still out in Colorado. Um, but then my dad had me transferred up here to the Golden Valley Health Center, which was then the Golden Valley Health Center, which is not there anymore. But, um, and there it was nicer than Colorado was. Um, but I was sober there. <clears throat> I didn't really pick back up drinking until I was like 16, maybe 17. And I was residing in a group home in Bloomington. And my friend knew this older guy who bought us beer. He'd get us like 12 packs, 18 packs, 24 packs, whatever we wanted, he'd get it. So that's when my drinking really took off. Um, I remember I wasn't like an everyday drinker. I was like a weekend binge drinker. Um, I would start like maybe one or two on Fridays. Saturday would be a total washout. Sunday, um, I'd wake up with a horrible hangover and I never had to like have that drink right when you wake up. I never got to that point, thank God. But um, yeah, and it took in 1991, I think I was committed, civilly committed to Wilmer State Hospital as mentally ill and chemically dependent. Um, and my drug of choice then was alcohol. <clears throat> um, I went to Wilmer and I met my daughter's dad, Patrick, um, which was, um, it was great in the beginning. But um, then... Weren't they all great in the beginning? Oh, yeah. Um, and then after that, oh, he left, he got drunk, he got kicked out, he went to detox. So I ran away from there. I had my friend come and pick me up. I ran away from there, went to St. Michael, Minnesota, which was where he lived with his parents. Um, stayed with his brother for a couple of days until he talked his parents into letting me stay with them. And then um, he had severe bipolar and he quit taking his medications, started drinking heavily again and um, started smoking marijuana. And the combination of those three or four things made him violent. Mm. So he'd slap me and I didn't think anything of it, you know, because his dad says that's what men do to women. And um, I knew differently, but wait, I didn't wait, 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 hold on. Who told you that that's what men do to women? That's what my, that's what my daughter's dad's dad told my daughter's dad. So he thought it was normal because that's how he was raised. Yeah. 
But what about you? Was it normal for you at that time or did you feel some kind of way about it? No, I, I knew it was not acceptable, but I didn't say anything. I was just like, okay, whatever. So what made you not say anything? Were you scared or were you afraid he would leave or did you not know what to do? What I didn't really know what to do. I mean, I, I love the guy and I, I didn't want to leave him. I mean, he he obviously needed help, but I thought that I could be that help, even though I was drinking with him. Um, yeah, so often we think that we can save everyone else and we don't realize we're in, in that pit too. Like, right. we can't even save ourselves, let alone the person next to us. I, I think that's a common thing. I think it's completely understandable. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so after he slapped me, like, three or four times, and then I told my dad, I told my dad, I said, Dad, Pat, hit me. And I remember my dad saying, I'd like to see him get angry with me. And, um, I, I don't remember where I was living at. I think I might have still been living with Pat and his parents on St. Michael, but I'm not sure. Um, um, and then things snowballed from there. Um, he started like... Can I ask you a question just before you get yes. to the next part? If you, could have, if you could change anything from that time now and do something differently, what would you have done? Or do you think there was really nothing different you could have done? I would have left them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if someone's in that same situation now and they don't know what to do, that would be Just your advice. Leave. leave. Yep. Just leave. Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Leave, ladies. If, to the ladies that are listening to this, if you're in a violent relationship, just leave. There's nothing you can do to help your partner or whoever it is just leave save yourself right because so often i think people really hold out on this hope that they're going to change and yeah yeah mostly most of the time they don't right totally. and it's really hard if he was raised to believe that that's okay unprogramming a lot of years of acceptable behavior is really hard, especially, you know, when you're both going through it and self-improvement's not like first thing on the list, you know, a lot of times we stick it out thinking it's going to get better or this is just a bad day or, or you hit me because I did this, you know, someone doesn't, right. it's not your fault that you get hit. It's not your fault that he was raised to believe that that's okay. And it's not, it wasn't your responsibility to right. fix him. Yeah. And I think that's just so common too. The tendency for the victim to blame themselves somehow, you know? Yeah. Yep. Cat had um, a good comment here. 
She said they have no idea how much it impacts the victim until they make a choice themselves to change it. And I, I think it's not always a choice, like the way someone's raised, like, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it that way, but you know, when you're raised to say please and thank you, please and thank you are, you don't even think about saying please and thank you, you just do. When you're raised, when you get mad, you hit somebody, like you don't think about it, you just do it. And so I think that doesn't mean you stay because it's not intentional and they're not, but it's harder to program or reprogram someone than people think. Mm. Yeah. And the other, the other hard part is if they're like, if you have kids with them, like I had with Pat, um, it's very hard to leave them because somehow you think that you need them mm. when honestly you really don't. Right. Or you believe family is supposed to be together and divorce is bad or you believe if you're the one that leaves you gave up first or you believe that your child's better off with both of you even if the situation's bad. There's a yeah. million ways we make it be okay in our head. Yep. It's a tough topic for sure. Yeah, it is. And I think that the damage it does, a lot of people don't understand the long-term damage. And when you come out on the other side, even if it's not physical abuse, if it's mental, the way you feel about yourself and it's so hard to overcome and learn how to even know what you want again. I mean, I don't know if it was like that for you, Amy, but was it hard to, to know what your wants and needs were when you it was yeah um, um i lost my train of thought, thought i'm sorry that's all right <laughs> so what, One happened, moment. what happened next um next it continuously got worse he was verbally abusive as well <clears throat> And um, he would, um, the and that went on for like, um, like several years. I met him in Wilmer, which was in '91, and he got kicked out for drinking. He went to detox, and I ran away to be with him, and then um, the. Wilmer State Hospital called the police to report me as missing or runaway. And they had an APB out for me and the police were looking for me and everything else. And <clears throat> the police showed up at his mom's house. And I had been drinking that day and I happened to be in the shower when they showed up. And my um, Pat was not there. But um, when I got out of the shower, his mom, Linda, told me that the police were there. And I'm like, why are they here? And I came out of the bathroom dressed and stuff, and the police were like, Amy Longren? I said, yeah, what? And they said, um, you need to come with us. Um, Wilmer's looking for you. They were very concerned about you. And so my husband had, or not my husband, Pat had just um, came back from the store and he saw the police um, 
hung me away and he gave me a big hug and a kiss. And they put me in a holding cell at the Wright County Jail, Buffalo. And I spent like a few hours there waiting for a transfer up back to Wilmer. And when the um, Metro Day, Metro D or whatever you call them, showed up to take me back to Wilmer, um, I was very upset because I wanted to stay by Pat. And I did not like Wilmer at all. And I wanted to be with Pat. And I wanted to stay down by Pat so I could at least see him. Um, so I told the sheriff deputies that I needed to go to the bathroom. So I went into, and I was drunk. I was like literally shit-faced at this time. So I went into the bathroom and I spent a while in there and they sent the lady, the lady officer and to check on me. <clears throat> and I grabbed her glasses, threw her glasses off her face, grabbed her by the hair, um, kneed her in the face like three or four times, um, broke her auxiliary rim or something. And I, she ended up in the hospital. And I remember the, the male sheriff's deputy came in, grabbed me, threw me to the ground, put a gun in my face. And um, that was, that was a, like an eye opener for me. I'm like, whoa, don't shoot me. But um, mm. yeah. Um, so I went back to Wilmer and I can't remember how I got out of there, but eventually I did. And I think it was after Wilmer that I went to that group home in Bloomington and met that lady with that older man friend that bias alcohol and stuff. And um, again, like I said, I wasn't like an everyday drinker or anything like that. I was like a total binge drinker on the weekends and um but that didn't go over to well either um so um eventually in 1996 i had a daughter brianna the i am so 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 proud of her um she was three months early um you could not tell her tell that now she is incredibly beautiful she is in graduate school, getting two master's degrees, one in social work and one in public health. And, um, but in 1996, I had Brianna and <clears throat> Pat was continually abusive to me, even when I was pregnant with her. Um, and when she was two years old was when shit really hit the fan of Pat and I, um, he was, extremely drunk and high on pot and off his meds and he got mad at me because I didn't want to have sex with him that night so he literally picked me up threw me down the flight of stairs um grabbed ran down after me because I tried to get out the front door ran down slammed the door shut grabbed me again threw me onto the concrete floor grabbed me by the back of my hair banged my head into a concrete floor 22 times. And this whole time, his mom was watching. 
And I don't know why she didn't call 911, if she was afraid of him or if she was afraid that if he knew that she was doing it, that he would kill me. I don't know what she was thinking, but. Did he ever uh, hurt her? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Did you ever see, did her, her husband hurt her? No. Hmm. No. That's so weird. Uh, were you were you and her close? Um Yeah, I I'd say we were. Yeah. Sadly, I don't think it's really as weird as it sounds. And right. It does sound weird, but it's I think it's all too common that people freeze when shit goes down like that and they don't know what to do and then when you're talking about a mother with their child is the one doing the the shit it's like they don't know what to do like they they want to protect their kid they don't want to get them in trouble and i don't know it's it's not as we it is weird it is weird but it's just more common than you would think you i'm know? just saying yeah. it's probably less that she was scared that he would hurt her right then she didn't want her son to get in trouble. Right. Yep. And yeah. Either way, that's fucked up. Yep. Sorry that happened to you. Oh, thanks. Mm -hmm. So then what happened? Um, so we went to court. I got an order for protection against him. Um, he couldn't see me for like two years and I haven't, um, the last time I saw him was at my nephew's funeral in 2010. Um, and that was a weird experience because I was sobbing because that was like my only nephew that I've ever had. And I was sobbing and he hugged me. And at the time I wasn't thinking, I'm like, I was so devastated that my only nephew had just died from heroin that um, I, I was like numb. So I didn't really think about the hug that he gave to me. Um, but after 1996, um, that would be 1998, we went to court in February I get an order for protection against him. I hadn't seen him since February 98, and then I saw him in 2010. Um, but backtracking a bit, in 1999, I was in a rollover bus accident. I was a passenger on Greyhound bus, and it rolled over three times on 35 north, 45 minutes north White Bear Lake. I broke my back. Um, they gave me back surgery. I had a fusion. I have metal rods and plates in my lower back, holding my back together. Um, and this starts off my, um, drug addiction. Um, after back surgery, they gave me, um, can't remember if it was Tylenol 3 or Vicodin or Percocet or whatever it was. Um, I... I liked it because it didn't, I didn't have to, I didn't have to feel. Um, I didn't have to feel 
I didn't have to I didn't have to hang on to my childhood anymore. I didn't have to hang on to past youth anymore. It was just like a um like a huge lift up, up off my shoulders. Um and then um that ended in 2001. I was committed to Anoka State Asper for the same thing in my CD. This time it was pain pills. Um, and I was on my best behavior there and no addiction his no addiction problem there and stuff like that. So um, I was I was committed there for six months and I only did only did like 30 days or three months or something like that. Then I got out of there and hooked up with my friend Gloria. Um, we started drinking again. We went to the bird every Friday night. KDWB was there and Toy Fly was there. And we just, we thought we were having the greatest time of our lives, hanging out with Toy Fly and KDWB at Bird every Friday night in Maplewood. And um, that went on for many, many, many years, and I would go to various doctors to get pain pills because my back was hurting, and it was a mixture between pain pills and alcohol at that time, and um, I, my timeline is way off, but um. I think it was around 2004, 2002, I really got bad into my, um, my pain pill addiction. I was prescribed like 40 milligrams of oxycodone, uh, 45 milligrams of morphine, and that was never enough. I'd run out of my pain prescription early, so I'd end up having to go buy them for my friends on the street. Um, and that went on for quite a while. Um, and I remember my grandmother, my dad's mom passed in July. I think it was July 31st, 2006. And then my best friend, Gloria Hoover, the one that I went partying with that bird and um, stuff, she passed away of complications from gallbladder surgery in 2007. And my um, pain pill addiction got obviously worse after that because I had lost one of my, one of my best friends at this time. And um, so my pain pill addiction was getting quite a hold on me at that point. And 2007, December 19th, 2007, my best friend in the whole world, Christine Larson, RIP Chris, um, she was murdered by her ex-boyfriend and the father of her daughter, or the father of her son. Um, and I remember being in her apartment with her because she lived in the apartment directly above me in St. Paul Park at the time. And um, so I was with her when, when um, Zachary, her 
her her baby daddy um, would call and say, okay, you can come pick him up here. And then he'd say, hang on, I got to go run an errand. I'll call you back and tell you where to pick him up. And he did that three times. And at that point, I'm like, no, Chris, you are not going alone. I am going with you. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. And that went on for like 15, 20 minutes. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. Um, And um, so eventually I had to go pee. And she left without me when I was in the bathroom because she knew that if I wasn't in the bathroom, I wasn't going to let her out that door. So um, she left and she she never she never saw Darian that day as far as I know. Um, later on that evening, um, Zachary, I think, if I remember right, he called Christine's mom and asked her where Chris was because he said that she never showed up to get their son, Darian. Um, and um, it wasn't until later on that night during the um, 10 o'clock news that we found out that there was a female that was found burnt in the, not burnt, but strangled in, in the back of a burning white, um, white Buick Century, which is her car. And um, we didn't know who it was at first. I thought, I thought immediately, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Chris. And her mom says, oh, no, it's not. She's okay. Chris, Chris is too smart for that. And I'm like, no, that's Chris's car. And um, after that, my world just fell apart. I mean, um, that was in 2007. I started using more opiates, more pain pills. Um, I couldn't get enough of them. And then in 2015, 2015, yeah, 2015, um, my friend introduced me to heroin. She said that it, immediate pain relief and it gets you super freaking high faster than any other thing can so I said okay cool I'll try it um and the minute I tried it I knew I was hooked and I don't even I don't even know why I said yes I'll try it because of what happened to my nephew um but then I was doing heroin and pain pills um for quite a while and then um yeah and heroin heroin started becoming more frequently um at the end of my heroin addiction I was spending at least seven hundred up to seven hundred dollars a day on heroin and um between me and my fiance, we'd spend up to $700 a day on heroin. Um, and 
it just kept snowballing and snowballing more heroin, more pain pills, more heroin, more pain pills. And in 20, 2019, I had, we had a cat and a dog and then we helped my friend move from Caledonia, Minnesota to St. Paul and she had cats and I took the baby kitten because they couldn't have her anymore and I got in trouble. So I got, I got evicted from that apartment. And so then um, we moved to Rose. Yeah. And um, the paramedics were called for me for a medical reason and the police showed up and they looked at my pill bottles and they're like, Amy, where did your pills go? And I'm like, I don't know. And um, I, I kind of told on myself, but the police really shouldn't have been there anyway because it was medical call. But um, I told the police officer that I was I had sold them to get some. I didn't I didn't tell them about the heroin, but I did tell them that I was selling my morphine to get more money. Um, and I was selling my morphine to get more money to buy more heroin. Uh, but I didn't tell the police that. Um, but the police went to my management office and told them what I was doing and I was evicted from that apartment. Mm-hmm. So um, from there, I stayed in a hotel for a year um, waiting to get into this place in South St. Paul. And then um, we got in there. I was not happy there at all. Um, different city, different county. I don't do well with changes. So um, my heroin addiction got worse. Um, his drinking got worse. My my fiance's drinking, Jason, got worse. Um, and um, and that, that brings us to like 2020? No, 2021. And um, 2021 was a horrible year for me. Um, it started off great. New Year's was amazing with Jason. We had huge plans for the year. And um, and Mar- on March 17th, 2021, he proposed to me again. And um, I, of course, I said yes, like I did before. And um, two weeks after that, um, Jason passed away um, right before, right beside me in our bed. Um, it turns out that the autopsy report showed that he had oxycodone on his system. And um, I was on Percocet at the time, but I did not give it to him. And um, so after he passed, I felt really, really, really fucking guilty. Um, I thought that because I was on Percocet and he was an alcoholic, I should have left Percocet out in the truck 
hidden out in the truck somewhere so he couldn't get to it. Mm. Um, Hindsight is always twenty twenty. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and I mean, if he, if he wanted it, he would have found it in your truck. He would have known where you kept it. I mean, yeah. You know, sure. yeah. as bad as, as that sounds, we know where stuff is. Yeah, we can find it. We can if it's within a vicinity, we're gonna find it if we want it. <laughs> yeah, true. For sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Very true. Um, and then after his death, I was in shock for like a month. Um, me and my friend Stephanie, um, she had relatives which was part of the cartel. And had like the best heroin. And um, we went to Southwest Minneapolis over by the airport in Crosstown and um, to her relative's house to get heroin on April 20th. And um, she had a bottle of cranberry juice in the truck and she was driving. And I, I just thought it was cranberry juice. But um, we had picked up the heroin, spent like an hour talking to our relatives, heading back home. We we're going northbound towards Minneapolis. And um, she took, well, we had stopped and started a little heroin on the way back. On the way back but um, she had taken a very fast right on their 35th, a fast left on their 35th street, and then another left on the Snelling Avenue south of Minneapolis. And she hit five parked cars, totaling them all. Um, everybody ran out of their house. Like, you wrecked my car, goddamn bitch, you know? And um, I was in the passenger seat, and I'm like, backtrack a little bit. Before she made the turn, we almost hit two cars head on. And I said, Steph, let me drive, please. And she says, no, I got this. I'm fine. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to die. <laughs> That's all I thought. Yes, okay, I'm going to die. Um, but um, after she hit the five cars, rolled our car onto my side, onto the passenger side. So I had to climb out the back driver's door, the back passenger door the driver's side and um i took stephanie's bottle i said what is this shit and i smelled it and it it, it had a little odor but i didn't know what it was exactly so i take a sip of, sip of it and i throw it on the ground and i said god damn stuff you're drunk and she said um she was she was still trying to drive the car. <laughs> and um, um people were trying to get her out of the car, trying to pull her door open, and um she wasn't gonna get out of her car. Um she had knives in her car. Like um she had a dagger in her car and she had actually she had like three or four daggers in her car for self-protection. But when the police showed up, um, 
they asked me, they said, is there anything in the car that we should be aware of? And I said, yeah. I said, there's three daggers in there that I know of, maybe more that I do not know of. And she is very drunk. And um, I said, you guys need a breathalyzer. And the officer looked at me and he says, we don't have a breathalyzer machine. And I said, really? I said, well, then I suggest you call another cop who has one over here because she is highly intoxicated. And at that time, it was after the George Floyd thing and everything was hitting the fan with that and stuff. And they said, all, all officers are too busy to come over. So, um, and then she finally gets out of her car and the the officers would not let her go near that car because of the daggers that were in there and her her state of mind and stuff. So they asked me to get the keys from her. Or I had the keys in my hand because I had taken the keys from her. I gave them to the officer. She kept on trying to get in inside the car and the officer wouldn't let her. And then they asked her for her insurance information and it was on her phone. And she was like stumbling around trying to get to her phone and the officer asked me to go ahead and take her phone and um, look look up the insurance and pull. So I did, and then um, um, after that, she called her son to come get her, and he did. And I called um, my friend to come get me, and he did. And um, it was like, that brings me to like May 4th or sometime in May. I had an OD in like April. I think it was like right around April 20th or right around that same time. And I ended up in, at United Hospital. Almost died. Ended up at United Hospital for a week. They discharged me. You would have thought I would have learned my lesson, right? Because I almost died. Um, but, um, okay, that, like, May, April 20th to, like, May 3rd. May 4th, um, I took an overdose of heroin May 3rd. This, a month, the exact day, a month after my fiancé had died. And, um... I so was don't this remember. 21, I'm just, was it yeah, 20? Yeah, this was 2021, 2021. yep. Um, and I, next thing I knew, I woke up in the hospital. I had been on life support for two and a half months. And I was like, where am I? What the hell happened? How did it get here? And um, then my my roommate at the time, um, he told me that he had tried calling me three times that that night into that morning, early May fourth, early morning May fourth. He had tried to call me three times and I didn't answer my phone, so he thought something was wrong. Um, so he came home, and thank God he came home in time because 
He came home, walked in, found me laying on the floor, unresponsive, called 911 immediately. Then he called my daughter, Brianna, and 911 showed up. I was, I had no pulse and agonal breathing. Agonal breathing is the last breath before somebody dies. Mm. Um, so they tried CPR, that didn't work. They gave me like two or three milligrams of Narcan, thrown IV, that worked. I was able to wake up enough to tell them what I had done. They got me to the back of the ambulance. I died two more times on the way to Regions Hospital. Um, and they got me to Regions. Um, they intubated me immediately in the ER. Subsequently, I spent two and a half months on life support. Um, and wow, yeah. So was that your last use? Yes. Awesome. Good. Because yep, I, I was going to say, I was going to say as much as we like to, you know, people to qualify themselves, whatever, so that everybody knows that they're, you know, coming from the same place essentially that we did. Uh, we want to hear, you know, about the turning point and we want to hear about what you did to get better. And we want to hear about what worked for you too. You know, we want to, we want to listen to and focus on the good things, the blessings that have come into your life today as well. So. Yes. Um, Okay, so after I woke up from life support, I was in the hospital for three more weeks. And then I went to treatment at Meadow Creek in Pine City. And there, that was the best. My overdose was the absolute best thing that ever happened to me. Um, because when I was in treatment, I had a huge spiritual awakening. I found God. And ever since I found God, my life has been absolutely amazing. Um, I don't, I don't worry about my past anymore. I, 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 God got me, so I don't have to worry about my past anymore. I'm not depressed anymore because I know God got me. Um, I'm just in the program, you know, I, After treatment, I spent like a month in a hotel until they found me this place in Montgomery, which I'm living now. Um, it's um, an adult foster care home. And um, I met these wonderful people in Montgomery AA. Thursday night, Thursday night meetings at the Recovery Hub, Montgomery, Minnesota, 7 p.m., that's the meeting you need to go to because that is amazing. Um, my sober life is absolutely amazing. I've never felt better in my whole life. Um, my brother called me on my birthday this year for the first time in like three years. Um, my dad and I had a the best time we've ever had in the car on the way home from one of my doctor's appointments on the 12th of December. Uh, we laughed together so hard. And I just, <laughs> my life right now is so amazing. I can't believe it. it. I have my family back. I have more sober support than I could ever imagine. I just, I'm, I'm, so, I'm beyond blessed. I just, 
I love life now, and I I would not give my sobriety up for anything. It's too good. It's way too good. Amen. Amen. It's life changing, powerful stuff. Yes, it is. I remember when I used to think that I was literally brain damaged beyond repair, that I would never be able to be a <laughs> functioning member of society, let alone a dad or a decent brother or son or, you know, and it, yeah. thank God for neuroplasticity. Thank God that the mind can repair itself and reprogram itself. Thank God that we have resiliency in our DNA. We can mm -hmm. bounce back from very low depths very low depths <laughs> amen how are you proud of you amy thanks jason yeah it's awesome so what's your favorite thing about life today you mentioned a lot of good things what's your favorite thing my favorite thing is having my family back do you have the same relationship like you know you say i have my family back but have you built a new and better relationship with your family? Yes. Um, before when I was into my alcoholism really bad, my dad had told me that he was going to change his phone number. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny, though, too, because then once we're clean and we've been clean for a little while and we learn the importance of boundaries in our own personal recovery to protect it, right? Yeah, we have to start making those same types of decisions. Like I can't put energy into these relationships anymore because they are not serving me well. They're unhealthy or whatever, you know. Right. So, you know, then when you start making those kinds of hard choices yourself, it's really easy to recognize, you know, and understand why other people did it to you <laughs> when yeah. you were all fucked up, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> But I have had 19 months of sobriety as of December 4th this year. Yeah. I wish I had the bell. Damn it. I don't have the bell. I don't have the call in line. I got shit. I'm a shitty brat. <laughs> well, I sent Kat the link so that she could join instead of doing the Google thing. But I don't, but there's no way to like, like when you're not friends with someone, it, they don't always see the message and it doesn't have a thing to add friend for her to see it. So no, just go to, go to her profile and it'll give you the little tab should be there that where you can message her. I did, but it doesn't show that she's seen it. So sometimes like it'll go to spam or some, you know, she yeah, might well, it, then cat in your messenger, send me a message and I'll send you the, the link. Oh, there you go. Or, if if you did send it already, I was gonna say you gotta hit click the re message requests because it now it's filters out what it thinks is spam. And sometimes if you're not friends, then it'll think you're spam and it'll put you over there. Yeah, I've already sent it, so she can do it whatever way, way works for her. Cha, she'll find it in the message requests. Yeah. Where did you send it to me? No, no. 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 To a girl, this girl, Kat, in the, she had some really good insights when you were talking about the abuse. I'll put, I'll put one of the bigger ones up here. Um, 
mental and emotional abuse is the worst she was saying she was answering jr's question about which was worse physical or mental and emotional oh yeah so she's saying physically that didn't do nothing to her she can take a hit a choke slap whatever it may be but the emotional and mental makes it hard for anything moving forward to move on from especially when you meet new individuals you constantly ask yourself if you're the problem and yeah to to uh Ashley's point, she had replied that it makes you feel like you're crazy. I mean, that's gaslighting, right? Like, that's what they do. They try to divert the, you know, shirk the responsibility from themselves onto you, even though you're the one that they're inflicting pain on. It's kind of fucked up. Is that genius? Like a mad, like a mad scientist type genius, like where you can make the victim feel like it's their fault and it works. It's a weird, it's the weirdest thing. Some of them are smart. Some of them aren't. Some of them are just quick on their feet or trying to protect themselves. And yeah, you know, some of them might really be that dense to your point where they really don't think they're doing anything wrong. Or like Amy was saying with her ex, you know, like he just uh, thought that was the way dudes are supposed to be in a relationship, you know, smack your bitch up. No, mm-hmm. that's not it. <laughs> Ashley laughed at me. <laughs> ah. I believe you just said that on the air. <laughs> hey, you know, some people think that. Right, it's, they do. And it's learned behavior, right? And I'm, I'm grateful that's not me. I'm grateful even in the depths, darkest depths of my addiction, I was never that guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I probably cut emotionally, a lot with my words and my sarcasm and my, my my attitude, but I didn't lay hands on people, not females, thankfully. Words hurt, man. Words hurt. Yeah, just as bad. Trust me. I I had to eat my fair share of humble pie when I got into recovery, trying to make amends with some people that I really hurt. You know what I mean? I, I really think that emotional abuse is worse because physical, you know, physical scars will go away. Mm-hmm. The emotional stuff sticks with you. I agree. Longer. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I didn't have, I tried to see if I could get the call in line to work today, but it's hooked up to Brett's soundboard. So that's not happening. But yeah, Kat, if you wanted to, by all means, pop you in here. You can jump in on the fun. You don't even have to share your video if you don't want. It's up to you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to share my video, but I'm doing it. But you don't have (laughs) to, Kat. No pressure. You have to because you're... You are uh, so beautiful, Ashley. Oh, thanks. I I barely brushed my hair before I came on. My phone had died and I didn't realize what time it was. Oops. She was AG late. (laughs) We're used to it. I worked from home today. Woohoo. Lucky you. Yeah, you're lucky I put on a bra for this thing. (laughs) She might, Ashley. Sorry, sorry. I have one on, so it's good. It's all good. Promise. (laughs) You guys are crazy. So, are you looking forward to the holidays? I am. Yes, especially this year. What are your plans? 
I am going to go to my parents' house in Edina. And this is the first year in like six years that my dad is actually trusting me to stay overnight at their house. That's a good feeling, right? Yeah, it is. It's awesome. Awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. Yep. That's a beautiful tree behind you. Oh, thank you. That's a Christmas tree. You know, it was crazy. It was about three and a half, four years into my recovery. One day it just dawned on me. Like I have a copy of my brother's key on my keychain. I got keys to my mom's place. I got her spare van key in case she locks hers in there or something. And I had a key to my sister's house. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't know what it was. This like in this moment, I just like dawns on me that how amazing that is that yeah they trust me enough you know t- to have that and then you uh, know i never use keys. them what's that it's all my work keys man <laughs> they trust me with work keys that's tight uh, right i know when nami put me on like i was scared like i was a treasurer for our rco and i'm like didn't want to be on the account they're like you have to be on the account you're the treasurer i'm like no no I'll just be a third party watching the books and keeping track. There, there can be other signers. So I like yeah. tried to put my, you know, not do it for a while. And then, you know, with NAMI, I have to be the person that for the securities and that like when people pass away, they donate stocks sometimes or whatever. And like, so I'm one of the people on the accounts and it's, it was like scary as crap. Cause I'm like, Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. I think I was sm- they were fine with it. They're like, no, it's no big deal. I'm like, I don't want to be on this. Right? I totally get that. It's weird when you go from not being able to trust yourself to like just being amazed at how much responsibility you can actually shoulder and like that people have faith in you to do that and that you can have faith in yourself to do it. (laughs) You know, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, that's cool. My, how the tables have turned, you guys. Yes, they have. Pretty tight. I love it. Noise. So, Ashley, I don't think I I showed you, Ashley. You weren't on yet, but uh, I'm going to show these pictures again for the listeners that Brett and Chrissy had their new baby, Jules. There's Jules. And so that's why Brett wasn't here tonight. Because he brought this little snuggle bug home. Oh. Look at her. I know, right? Oh. She's brand new. I just want to squeeze those cheeks. She needs a recovery revolution onesie. Hell yeah, JR. Hell yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I'm like, it's JR's job to make merch. (laughs) Way out podcast onesie. That would be cool. Dude, you know how much it, I mean, I I feel the pain for anybody who's really trying to like get into the merch game, you know, like, like, uh, you know, against the odds, for instance, this dude's putting out a new different t-shirt every like two months. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. He must make some good money because that shit ain't cheap. It's expensive. Yeah. It's super expensive. Shirts, the bracelets. Mer- the merchandise, the stickers, yeah, that, 
my dream is to open up a sober shop, which sells like sober t-shirts that with sober things on it and like medallions and big books and NA books and CA books and everything having to do with recovery. That's my dream is to open, open up a uh, retail store and call it the sober shop. Hell yeah. Yep. Well, if you dream it, you can achieve it, Amy. Yep. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but. <laughs> you, never, you never know till you try, right? That's true. Yeah. And I think it's just like with recovery, right? We can't do this alone. Right. You know, we let people help us. All of a sudden we find it's really not as hard as we thought it would be all these years that we thought we were stuck in it and we'd always be this junkie or whatever. Nope. Didn't have to be all because we let other people in. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know, like, you know, you never know who's sitting across the table from you, right? Like you, you, you probably know people that could help you do that. You know what I mean? Hey, G, how close are you to uh, Fort Lauderdale? Huh? Four hours, five hours. Yeah, you're waiting on my birthday. Oh, you live in Florida, Ashley? I do, yeah. Oh, fun. <laughs> JR's not fun. Did you, not fun with Hurricane Ian, though. Did you get hit by him? We got hit by both of them, yeah. Oh, ouch. Yeah, our beaches are sad. They have these oh, like, yeah. things filled with water that they're hoping like hold the structural seawalls. So that they can be rebuilt. But the beach is like wow. Daytona is one of the few beaches you could drive on. Now you can't even walk on it. Wow. It's wow. I can't even imagine being in one of those. Woo. Well, they there wasn't people in them. Like people like me stayed, but I live across the street from the beach. Beachside, they they actually went in and evacuated those buildings because they were worried the buildings were gonna fall into the sea during Nicole. They wow. like yeah, so they emptied them, and there's a couple of pools that fell in. Oh, geez. Yeah, That's I don't know cool. if you watch the Weather Channel. Like, I live like a mile and a half from where that safety building went into the water. Wow, that is scary. Mm. Yeah. She was but, shooting live video during the hurricane. Oh, so, I went right after to like. Yeah, yeah AG was scared. <laughs> It's still like the water still comes up to the seawall pretty much. Like there's not much beach. Wow. Yeah, she was sending us videos, Amy, when it when they were hitting, you know, from her like patio or whatever. And it was like, I hope I'm glad that you live in like a structurally sound building, dude, because that shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good thing you're in a nice sturdy apartment building, easy. Right. No, it's a condo. Oh, okay. Ooh, a condo, not just an apartment building, Jason, a condo. Yeah, I forgot she's fancy. <laughs> well, I mean they're they're kind of the same thing, but this building's twenty stories high. I don't think there's many apartments that are like tall like Minneapolis that. has Maybe. some tall apartment buildings, don't they, Jason? Oh yeah, downtown. But yeah. I think what you're the difference is that a condo is more they're bigger, right? Than an apartment. Yeah. Yep. Depends, I think. But the condo people own the condos and apartments people rent. 
Oh, okay. So is that the difference? Yeah, gotcha. so everybody in our building, so the condos are owned by each individual person, not like a, so we do have someone downstairs, you know, like that works here. And then we have people that do the pool and stuff like that, but they're paid for by the condo association. And there's, you know, it's, so it's not like a, a rent or a lease. I guess there's some people that own it that rent it out, but you have to have approval by the board to even do that. Mm. So you don't pay association fees or not or anything? We do. Like like if you are not like you have a homeowner's fee, it's the same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, condo fees. JR, you leaving? JR, you're quiet. What's up? I'm I'm the quiet one out of the group. I'm the shy one. He's <laughs> the shy one, guys. Oh, should we? Or he's lazy. Cat, feel no. free to come <laughs> She got the link. <laughs> Where are you, Cat? Amy, it was a pleasure listening to your story. I mean, I'm I'm grateful to have met you. I, I mean, I'm grateful that you're doing well now. That was a uh, a eye opening story, and I'm I'm glad you you know got the help that you needed and. Found your way. I definitely did. Nobody deserves that. I mean, I am I am really against, you know, a a guy hitting on a woman, a woman. So so good job. Oh. Thanks. But I, but I have support with you. Yeah. So I have to leave you guys. I mean, I leave you in the capable hands of AG and Jason. All right, mm -hmm. cool. Hopefully I won't be banned next week. I think I, nah. I maybe we're leaving early. Yeah, Andy didn't talk enough. Yeah, right. they are. Yeah, but you know what? We'll, I'm gonna give you grace and say you just need to practice. You need to work on it. Come on, okay. come on back next week. I'll do better. I'll do better. Be more talkative. <laughs> you you're looking good. So you're you want to hear something great. cool before you leave? Sure. I know he looks younger every time we see him. <laughs> okay, so I'm 30, 32. So, so my birthday is on Saturday, baby. Oh, shit. your birthday is Saturday, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. My birthday is Saturday, yes. But so this year I turned 38, and my dad died when he was 37, and I was 11 years old. So I've like had this in my head, like it, it doesn't make sense, but I was like, I was. I'm not going to live till I'm 38. Like, there's no way that I'll live longer than he did. Um, so, like, since I was little, I was like, I'm not going to make it to 38. And now it's, like, two days away. And I've lived through everything I've lived through up until this point. So I really think I'm going to make it to 38. So it's an exciting day. You have yeah. survived 100% of your worst days. Yep. Yep. All right, but I got to bounce. Nice, nice seeing you all. Nice meeting you, Amy. You too, JR. Have a Merry Christmas, too. buddy. Merry Christmas, JR. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. You too. Good brother. Adios, muchachos. Muchachos. That's Spanish. Oh, oops. <laughs> so, I don't know. What, should we, should we wrap it up? Sure. Hats Is that on? Come on. Well, she's trying. She said it's. It won't allow her to open the page. Why wouldn't it allow it? I don't know. Weird. I don't know. When Weird. I click on the link, it brings it up. 
Right. Just copied it from Brad. Copy. Paste. I'll try it again. Send it again. We'll see what happens now. So what are you doing, Jason, for the holidays? Well, I'm going to get my son tomorrow, and then we'll probably spend the night at my brother's house because I'm dog-sitting for my brother at his house. Um, and then Saturday, we got a few functions to go to. I'm going to go to visit with my sister on my dad's side and her family so we can see my niece and or my nieces and nephew over there and them guys for a couple hours then we'll go to minneapolis to my brother and sister's aunt at their house so i can see my other sister and my other two nephews and then we're going to stop at my house to say hi to my roommates my sponsor and his wife and their family and so they can give wyatt his presents and we'll let Kate out on the way there. And then I'll be bringing Wyatt home probably. It'll probably be pretty late when I bring him home. And then so Christmas Day, I'll just be wake up and uh, drink coffee and sit in stretchy pants and just relax. But I'm going to be running my ass off all over the place on uh, Christmas Eve. So, Do you guys have like uh, the blizzard stuff expected to come to you too? It's yeah, been here. going on since yesterday. Yeah, it's here. So yep. hopefully by Saturday, the road it'll be pretty much calm and the roads should be fine. I live in the southern 62, part of the huh? state. 62, <laughs> huh? Jerk. I live in the southern part of the state, Ashley. And here it's like 40 degree below wind chill. And 40 below? Um, yeah. Um, there was in 100 below zero. Hmm. And um, there's no no travel advice, so we cannot leave our houses in the southern part of Minnesota right now. Because hmm. there is major blizzard right now going on. I just sent it to Cat too. I don't know if it'll work better or not. Hmm. Is she still listening? Yeah, she's on there. She just met, wrote her last message like five minutes ago. But yeah, I don't know. Christmas is, I don't know, it's been weird too because I've been, you know, work was abruptly cut off this week because of the weather. So mm -hmm. Wednesday morning I showed up on the job site, but we didn't do anything. And they said they were canceling the job for the day. They were definitely not coming in the next day. And uh, obviously they said Friday, no go either. Just, but they were already planning on taking Friday off and making it a four day weekend. But so a four day weekend turned into a six day weekend. <laughs> and I've just right. been at my brother's house, man, just chilling with the dog. Uh, you know, I'm missing my girl and 
stuff, but I'm like, at the same time, I never just unplug like this ever. So it's been kind of nice just to relax a little bit, you know. Where's Where's the the girl? Is she out of town? No, she's at her house, but she's over in Fridley, oh. and I'm up in Ham Lake, and I'm like, I don't want to leave the dog. I don't want. I can't bring the dog. Away. Driving. Huh? If the weather's not good, you don't need to be driving anyway. Uh, that's not really the issue for me. It's are you just, are you under no travel advisory up there too, Jason? Or is it just I, down here? I don't. I don't know. I haven't been looking because I haven't been leaving. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I'm just getting lickings and snugglings from this little baby girl. <laughs> I tried to send help, cat. I sent you the thing. So now you got the link from me that is also the link that I used. Myself. We all used it. This is actually the link that I sent Amy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So should it should bring you right up in here. But if it's yeah, not going to work, if it's not going to work, then we can start wrapping it up here. But we more than welcome you to come on and talk a little bit about whatever you want to talk about, Kat. Yeah, Kat. Yeah. I love you, Kat, girl. I am so good here with the kisses. Thank you. Oh, I love puppy kisses. Yeah, but it's getting it's getting excessive over here. Oh, too much, too many licks. <laughs> like how many picture? Oh, there she is. Up. All right, watch. Well, you that. got her in. Oh yeah. Boom. That was how. Hi, Cat. Oh, Hi. Oh my God. Sorry, you guys. I I'm very on savvy tech. <laughs> and then of course, as I'm trying to do this, my child, which is my cat, which is definitely my child. She opened me to grab one of my receipts and take off with it. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Did you need that receipt? Um, I like to keep them just in case I have to return something. So yeah. Give me that back. Jason and Ashley, this is my friend Kat. We met at Regions Hospital last year. Yeah, right after I up, right after I got off life support. Wow. So, yeah. That's crazy. How long did, were you both in the hospital at the same time? Or Yeah, she yeah. was there for three weeks. I actually was there for four months. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? or Yeah. Tell um, us as little as you want. You know, I don't want to push you. Well, um, just to... Just to backtrack, after I got off life support and after I got off medical unit, I was transferred to the psychiatric unit. So, which I was on too. Yes. Yeah. So, um, do you guys want to hear my life story? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, if, if you want to tell the. If you want to tell your life story, you got to make it the Reader's Digest version because, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, know we've already cool. been on for an hour and 20. All right. So I, my, my twin sister and I were adopted at age four. Um, we were actually born in Komsomolska, Russia. Um, 
set up for adoption the second week of our birth. So we actually deal with a lot of reactive attachment, detachment disorder. Um, so any type of relationship is definitely um, a very difficult one for us. Um, growing up, um, um, I was more the behavioral one. Um, I was the more outverted. My twin sister was more the inverted. Um, when she had her tantrums, it was by herself. It was never like out, you know, like I had. Um, uh, starting at age six, um, I started cutting myself um, and harming myself. Um, I had like taken pens and um, like, you know how girls have those bracelets, like metal bracelets. I broke those to cut myself. I would take towels and strangle myself, hit myself, bite myself. Um, it just got worse from there. Um, my mom, my adopted mom was very abusive. Um, she had, um, she, she already had mental health of, of her own, but, um, one of the things they didn't really realize is, and they were told this, that this when adopting people, um, kids, there's a huge chance for mental health and medical. Well, in Russia, they had to lie and say that we had, like, a severe medical condition just for us to get adopted. Even though it wasn't true, it was just so we could at least get adopted. Um, back to my adopted mom. She was very, um, it was just her way or the highway. It was always, she was right, even if she was completely wrong. Um, she was very mentally, psychologically abusive, um, never really letting us, you know, know what we did wrong. It was more of we had a thing for ourselves, um, which actually fucked both. Sorry, I have a really bad swearing problem, so forgive me for the cussing. Um, but You're we okay. both were really fucked up because it was it was a, it was a really great example it was like if I, like we did something wrong. Um, and our mom wouldn't let us do something. We'd be like, well, can I ask why? She's like, I don't know. You tell me. So we would give her an answer and whatever answer, it was just still like, I don't know. You tell me. So it actually fucked us up so mentally and psychologically that it just made us have to like question ourselves with everything we did. Um, she would not allow us to show emotions. It was just like, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. And it was to the point where we, me more so, started bottling, bottling it up, all my emotions up with anger. Um, I was very, like, I was doing a lot of property damage, um, threatening. I actually, at four years old, I had threatened to kill my mom. Um, and uh, they had us do a lot of testing, but it was just more so they, they looked more at the medical piece. Never really, we're, we already had a lot of trauma as it is being in the orphanage and being adopted, um, I'm smoking a cigarette, by the way, so it's, <laughs> just so you guys know, um, but it was just, uh, we couldn't, we were, like, I, I, I'm not gonna speak for my twin, um, but I was not happy, um, it was, I had a lot of questions, I had a lot of feelings already, um, by eight, eight years old, um, I had went up to my dad, and I'm like, because we call our dad Pop, and I'm like, Pop, I don't feel like I belong here. He's like, what do you mean, Katiana? That's actually my actual name, Katiana, but a lot of people just call me Kat just to make it easy. Um, but um, I'm like, I just feel like I don't belong here. I feel like I'm from somewhere else. And he's like, we'll talk about it later. Well, nine years old, 
um we were all biking and all of a sudden we saw our parents like packing like stacks up of albums and we're like what the heck is going on sure enough they call us over um and my dad's like do you remember when last year when you said you didn't feel like you belonged here i'm like yeah and they're like well that is true like you guys were adopted so they went through telling us about our adoption and we had questions and um maria was just more of just kind of sitting there in major disbelief i was kind of i don't even really remember how i felt um so uh, my mom was also physically abusive um she had bound me multiple times on the bench um with my uh wrist duct tape behind my back to the bench also my ankles my mouth shut she till this day even both my parents think that was a way of quote unquote controlling me and keep having me stay in control because I was being violent. No, it just fucked me up more. Um, I went in and out of hospitals, like at this point, I don't even know how many times um, because it's been that much. Um, I went into group homes starting at age 18. Um, before then, I was going to like Wilmer, um, CBHHs, um, every CBHH they had it in this uh, city or the state, sorry. Um, and so uh, dealing with group homes, there was a lot, a, um, a lot of abuse, um, a lot of, you know, and I, it seemed like a lot of the residents took me on as like the parent role because I actually understood them and actually was able to get through to them versus, you know, what the staff were, it was just more of, they were there for the money. And as I got older and being in group homes, I just started having the, I don't give a fuck attitude. You're not going to tell me what to do. Um, like I've literally been in staff's face, like, like, no, you're not going to, you know, come into my own home because in a group home, you're in your, that's your home, whether it's a group home or not. Um, and it was just this constant, like, oh, because I'm the staff, I can tell you what to do. Oh, oh they're going to bleed me over you. No, I started being a big advocate because it was like these residents, these clients who are in this group home, normally just kind of like, okay, I'll do what you say. No, I, I knew that wasn't right because there was abuse going on. Um, I had multiple staff choke me, um, hit me, all that stuff. And I didn't stop. And normally after a while when they just like oh nothing really is being done most people are just like I give up no because I knew what was right and what was wrong and um <laughs> even though I was in the group Riley stop sorry um it's okay even being in group homes um it was like even though I was in the group home mostly for like self-harm and stuff like that um, and attempts of suicide, it was like staff wouldn't even stop me when even though they knew that that's their job, like they have to put you in physical restraints. And I, my whole life, I've had a hard time saying what I needed or wanted. Um, when I did get the help, it like I instantly denied. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, you know, I'm OK. Like it was just, a you know, a bad day. When really, it's like, I do need help. Like, I'm so mentally fucked up. I have a bunch of major trauma. Um, at 12 years old in a foster care, uh, we were coming on our way home. And all of a sudden, something just told me to look back. I don't know what. Maybe it was just my instinct. But right as I turned, 
a three-car collision happened. So the first car was actually just turning, didn't turn on their fucking signal, which and the men made the truck behind it crash into him, and then the motorcycle behind it uh, following. Um, the guy on the motorcycle actually had the worst of the injuries. Um, he actually was so critical. They actually had to call the airlift, the lifeline. Um, and something just kept, like, I was just so traumatized by it because even him crying, like, he, and luckily, um, behind us was our foster mom and their neighbor who's actually a certified nurse. Stayed there until, um, until the, the lifeline got there and the police and all that stuff be moved because of how critical it was there was blood everywhere um because of that like i was so traumatized i actually like threatened to kill my foster parents and they didn't really do anything they called the cops and they just still had me there but the, the next day i went to school and then all of a sudden my caseworker at the time shows up he's like all right you're coming with me where am i going oh you're just i'm gonna bring you somewhere well it was the sheriff's youth program and um, I think they think that I had been through like sexual trauma and like rapes and stuff because even that stuff is very um, triggering for me. Um, and so it was just I had met a I went to school at the time and I had ran into someone who actually sexually assaulted me in the hospital. And of course, I didn't say anything, you know, and just like that fear of being a kid, you don't know really what to do. Um, and I kept telling him, like, he's bad news. Like, I don't want him near me. And he kept, like, pocketing me and trying to... And I just was so fucked up. I legitimately tried running out in the middle of the street. And then the Lejeune officer and staff came. And then they, like, suspended me. And I just... It got worse from there. Like, I was threatening the people at the Sheriff's Youth Program, which then I ended up going to RJC. It's a kid's prison and Lionel Lake and legitimately it's a kid's prison like it's it's hell um I went to a few treatment centers one of them was drug treatment programs actually it was pretty cool I actually felt very like famous <laughs> because it's actually where the Hormels used to live who invented the spam um it was super cool um we had to clean our rooms a lot because there was legitimately tourists that would come all over the world and like tour it because it was like a famous place but it was the worst when it was like snow or rain it legitimately smelled like spam it was appalling like it was horrible um and so um there was like good times obviously you know the fun activities and stuff but it was just more of you know even hospitals and treatment centers they say like oh you're you're safe no, the fuck you're not. Because you see traumatizing shit that you should never have to see. You know, you, you, they keep telling you this, but you're not. You, I have seen in treatment where a girl, like, violently attacked another girl. Like, staff. Like, it's just like, you think you're safe, but you're not. Like, you're dealing with more trauma than you already have. Um, and so... Just mo mainly being in group homes all my life, um, just dealing with the shit and the abuse. And this last, the last group home I was at, I was actually there the longest. It was Bridges MN. Um, there was a lot of 
horrible shit that happened and it's a lot to me even at that and i kept saying things i kept reporting it and this last time that i reported so i had a sexual relationship with a staff yes i had every part of it and that's why when i went into the hospital i had a really really hard time like saying something but i knew i had to say something because it fucked me up he had done cocaine <clears throat> on the job um he actually um choked me because i told him i told him one day because i was having a bad day i'm like i'm gonna report us to the supervisor and that's when he choked me and i remember still the fear in my eyes um and then he tried to make it up for me to have a you know we never had sex but like there's still stuff that we did and stuff that was still considered sexual obviously um, but, um, I finally said something after I got in the hospital, um, I was at the hospital for, yeah, four months. That's when I met, um, Amy. Um, and that's actually where I met my ex abuser. Um, he, I was just kind of like, eh, like, I'm just going to focus on myself and stuff like that. But he was very into me and like, just always trying to talk to me. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll just give him a chance. Well, after I left the hospital, I had a friend stay, uh, let me stay with her because I legitimately was waiting for the group home to change it all into like behavioral tech staff because, yeah, I was high behavioral. And it was not more of like the aggression and violence. It was more of my self-harm and self-mutilation and like my suicide attempts. That was really bad. Last year in January, um, I had got a hold of my meds, which should have never happened, but the staff never stopped me. And, um, I, the next, that night I, I went to my friend Kristen's house and I got super shit faced. And then I got back and I like woke up in the car. Staff wasn't there. The keys are out of the car. I'm like, what the fuck? And so I go in. Well, at the time we had a resident who actually should have never moved there due to like sexual fantasies. Like he just could not be around females, but they still did that, which is another huge like thing they should have never done. So that's why we had like a two part, it was like a, it was a house, but they made it into like two separate apartments and the, my door always had to be locked and closed just due to the fact of his issues. Well, it was wide open. I walked in and I shut in and locked it and I went in the staff office. Tell me why the staff who never got trained in with me, which is another huge thing they have to do, but they did not. Um, I confronted him and then, um, of course, I, I'm a little shit. I'll do some ratchet ass shit. He had his phone in his lap, so I grabbed it. And he legitimately is like, give it fucking back. And so I did. And he still, like, hit me in the face. And then he grabbed my, like, collar and started dragging me out of the office. And I was, like, doing everything. So at this time, I, um, like, a few, like, Months ago, I before that, I had taken UMA classes. So they teach you everything with UMA, like Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu, everything, martial arts, everything. Um, and I was doing everything I could. I was doing pressure points, all that stuff. And I still couldn't get him off of me. Mm. And he's like, you know, he legitimately dragged me up to like towards the door, the front door. And he opens the door and he's like, Steph, downstairs, I need help now. And the staff actually downstairs came like to the door and she was like, you need to let her go now. And she was not one to fuck with. Like she would get into like beef with the staff. Like it was obviously not professional, but 
it, like she was just someone who also didn't take crap. So, um, she's like, you need to let that the client go now, and he still didn't. So she comes all the way upstairs, and she's like, let the client go now, and she could see I was in major distress, um, because he still actually had my collar and my sweatshirt, and. So after he let me go, she's like, Kat, go to your room, lock the door. I'll let you know when to come out. Well, once the situation was taken care of, I came out and she's like, what happened? So I told her and she's like, that's exactly what I heard. Cause that house, like you could hear everything, whether you're downstairs or upstairs, it did not matter. Um, and so I called the police and made a report. They came out. It was actually my brother-in-law who works for the PD here. Um, and then literally the next day, which was, so this was on Saturday night. And so Sunday, um, the next morning I woke up cause I had went to bed late, but I still woke up, um, pretty early and my, the new staff had came on and he was always like buddies with the supervisor at the time because he, he legitimately was like, they were best buds. So they would back up each other no matter what. And, um, He's like, so what happened? Like, and I told him, he's like, yeah, that's what Janessa said. He's like, but the staff said you beat him up. What? And he's like, yeah. And he called the police. No, like, that's not true. Like, I'm the one who called the police and made a report. Like, he got that shit wrong. Like, he just lying out of his ass. Well, and then he's like, oh, Rico, which was the supervisor. He's like, he's not happy right now. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, is he not happy about the situation or with me? He's like, I don't know, but he's super mad. And I am a, I'm a worrier. Like, I worry about everything. I freaked out. Like, I couldn't, like, I started having, like, a major panic attack. He's like, oh, just go to your room and take a nap or something. Yeah, sure shit. I went in my room and locked the door. I actually took the pills that I got the day before from the, um, with, like, and the staff did not stop me. I had put it in, like, a container of all my pills because they were one of those, like, bubble pack things and I took all my meds out and I put them in the cut and I was holding on to them while I downed them and I laid down hoping I would die um but it was scary because I remember waking up and I legitimately felt like I was shitting myself um and I kept saying help and if and if from later I from what it's um, what I was told is that even if I was saying something, I nothing was really coming out. And um, I was legitimately going in and out of consciousness. And by the grace of God, I had um, my phone next to me because if my phone would have been across the room, I would not be alive today. Um, but because it was right next to me, I dialed 911. I think I had said help, but I don't remember anything after that. And then... Um, from the conversation and then um when I was back into consciousness I heard sirens um and then after um and then so apparently they and I'm and I only know this because I actually got the police report after that whole situation um so apparently when the cops got there they're like where's Kat and he's like oh she's in a room sleeping and he said that to the police, but he was continuously telling a supervisor and everybody that every time I walked in, I was saying, fuck you, get out of my room. Um, that's kind of hard to uh, say that when I was going in and out of consciousness. 
um, they, when I'm in a dysregulated state, their job was to check on me more often than every hour. Um, And he never did that. Um, And so when they opened the door, I was legitimately going in and out of consciousness where they actually had to administer Narcan. And I remember I was hearing voices, but I couldn't like pick what they were saying. And then all of a sudden I felt something go in my nose and down my throat. And also I remember like doing like the, and it was like literally like a newborn taking their first breath. And the EMTs said, welcome back, Kat. What did you take and how much did you take? And I was still kind of very, I was very lethargic from the overdose that they actually had to have the fire department help with the removal because, and they normally don't do that. They just have the police and the EMTs do that. Well, I get to, I remember being carried in something. And then once I got in the ambulance, I was like super, super cold. And, like, the EMT kept hitting my face, like, super hard. And I have a high pain tolerance, guys, like, majorly. But it was, like, I could feel the pain. And he's like, you got to stay with me. I'm not trying to be mean, cat, but you got to stay with us. I don't remember anything after that. I just remember waking up in the hospital. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right, you're being discharged. And I'm like, what? Aren't I supposed to, like, talk to, like, the salt? You already did. And I'm like, well, shit, I must have said something, right? Because <laughs> I'm going home, you know. I I was actually shocked myself. Um, And so when I got home the next day, the supervisor legitimately was like, where's the rest of the pills? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, I took them all. He's like, that's not true because they would have pumped your stomach. I'm like, bitch, like, that's that's where you're so fucked up in the head. Like, you legitimately think that every time someone overdoses on all their medication, they pump your stomach. That is how it is. No, the fucking ain't. Because I've overdosed many times in my life. And this is, they've never pumped my stomach, bitch. So don't fucking, oh, where are the pills? I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now. I know this is probably very inappropriate to say, but you can strip search me. You can strip search my room. You can do what the fuck you want. But I'm telling you, you ain't going to find them. Unless you want to fucking cut my stomach open. Like, you know, like. I was, and yes, I was being a bitch, but also you're not going to talk to me that way. Like, you're a fucking staff. You need to be professional. If you ain't going to do that shit, bro, well, because he got me so, like, mentally fucked up, they actually had to put place me in a hole because I legitimately, um, I had broke out the windows of the house where I was actually taking the broken glass and putting my arm, my body parts, like, through the shards of glass. And I wouldn't stop. And so they had to uh, place me in a hold. Well, the next day, I ended up going into the hospital. like, And I was there for a month and a half. Um, and actually, it was the week right before I was about to be discharged. Um, this girl legitimately set her bed on fire right next to my room. Um, she literally, I guess, had snuck in weed paper and uh, matches. And set it on fire. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why the fuck do I smell smoke? Because I was legitimately in my room just journaling and just staying to myself. All of a sudden, I'm like, I walk out. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, there's a fire. So I ran. And there was also, like, this, like, weird, like, liquid stuff, like, coming, like, super fast towards my way to my room. So I ran into my room, grabbed all my shit, my bookwork, because I like to write. 
and I threw everything on high level so my shit wouldn't get ruined, which was really smart of me because I was like probably the only smart one at that point. And I came out and the fire alarm was going off, everything. And it got so bad that the whole um, St. Paul PD um, fire um, staff all over the hospital was there. And the smoke was so bad that people were actually choking because the smoke was so sick and bad. Um, and finally, the nurse like, we need to get these patients off the unit now or like someone's going to have a medical emergency or die from smoke inhalation. Well, and apparently, so this bitch who set her bed on fire, her excuse, her reasoning for doing it was, you guys didn't offer me scrubs when I first got here. Okay, yeah, because the judge is so going to fly with that answer. Like, your ass is fucked. Like, she's being charged with arson, property destruction, all that shit. I'm like, you deserve it, bitch. Like, don't sit here thinking, like, you the victim. Like, fuck out of here. Like. Oh, sorry. I get so mad at her still, even. Um, but, Can I stop um, you and for then, a second? Yeah. Can I stop you just for a second? I want to ask you if you realize something. Yeah, um, go ahead. I was listening to you tell your story, and, and you were saying, you know, you've tried to end your life a couple of times and hurt yourself, and but when it came down to it, what did you do? Um. I know I called for help and obviously like you know when I cut it's more of just to feel that physical so I don't have to feel the emotional and the mental and all that stuff um but it was just kind of like it was there's times like we drink or do drugs to like escape that same thing but you you exactly exactly and I just wanted more I wanted to point it out to you because when it came down to it, your life could have been over that day if you didn't call for help. Yeah, but you did call for help, so you wanted to live. By the grace of God, like my phone was next to me. Because even too, when I got like when they discharged me from the hospital, I could hardly walk. Like I was so like the drugs had like made me so weak that that's why another reason why I said by the grace of God because at that point I actually did try. I do remember trying to like get up and I was so weak. Like I legitimately could not move. And so if my phone would have been across the room, like I would have died. And that's why, like, even the times that I do try killing myself, like it's been, it's just more of just, I want the pain to stop. Like I just want it to end. And sometimes it just, it's too much, you know? And sometimes if you don't feel like you have the support, it's just you're fucked and you feel like you have nothing left to live for. Um, so you know what? I don't think that that's, I know that that feels like it's weird or different. I, I don't think that that's weird. I think that that's understandable. I think that emotional pain and suffering, like when you've gone through it for a really long time, you know, sometimes it's just, you just want a little peace. But and it's just like my family was never supportive. They were very degrading, very judgmental. They, excuse me, they still are. And that's why, even too, like, I can never go to them about things. They say, oh, stop being dramatic. You're fine. No, you're not going to sit here saying that I'm fine. I'm not fine. And I want to be able to go to my own family and talk about things, but I can't do that. 
And it's sad because at this point in my life, it seems like it's more of the professionals that I can actually talk to than people. Like, there's a few people, like, friends and stuff that I can talk to. But it's just, like, too, even friends will sometimes just be like, oh, I'm sorry, I've been really busy. And if, like, you post some shit, like, on Facebook, like, all right, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Everyone wants to bomb your phone up. Oh, are you okay? Like, talk to me, I'm here for you. No, the fuck you're not. And that's the funny thing about people who self-harm and do suicide, like, attempt suicide or do drugs or do something to, you know, like, end it because they cannot take it anymore. And then all of a sudden, like, the, you, you reach out and everybody wants to act like they, quote-unquote, give a fuck. No, the fuck you don't. Because what are those days when you actually just message them one day and like, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? And you don't fucking hear from them for like for like a week or a month. And then they get back to you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was really, really busy. I've been doing. No, you're not busy enough to, if you really care about someone, you're not busy, you know, too busy for them. And that's right. one thing I have realized a lot in my life where it's like, it's more of, and that, and that's the biggest thing too. Like, and this is not even just with like um, taking pills or doing some other thing to try to end your life. It's even drugs and, you know, drinking all that stuff. But the funny thing is, is that you literally are thinking that, okay, this person actually cares. No, the truth, the real fucking truth that a lot of people need to start getting through their fucking heads is that it's, you don't want the person to die because it's legitimately like you're legitimately don't want to feel the guilt. You don't want to feel the shame. You don't want to have those what should have what could I've done you know I should have done this I should you don't want to be the guilt trip you don't want to be the one to feel the uh, feelings about someone taking their life if you cared that much about that fucking person you should have been there like you quote unquote cared even on the good days it's not always the bad days that you should always reach out it's the good days too because that's important to us it's very important for us to be heard, to be validated, and to be acknowledged. And if you only acknowledge them on their bad times, what does that tell you? What does that tell you as them as a person? It's just their selfish being, and it's funny because they legitimately say that, huh? I I understand how sometimes it feels like that. I felt like that with friends before too. But I think what it's hard to realize, especially when we're struggling, because you know, I've been in, I've, I've lost my best friend to suicide and, and I've tried to end my own life. And, and what I realized is that we don't see what the other person's going through either. Sometimes like it's, they might say, oh, I'm so busy. Sorry, I didn't contact you, but maybe they didn't say I was struggling too. And like when I struggle, I isolate. So sometimes exactly. I don't act people for a little bit and it's not that I don't care. It's I care too much and I can't. Or I'm at my max and I can't take anymore. And, and sometimes that oxygen mask is the only thing that gets us through. And right. I know when we're struggling, it feels like it. Um, I relate to that so much, Ashley. That's me too. It's just yeah. like, it's just it's like too much is too much. You know, you need to take like a that. break for yourself. Right. And it's just when our state of minds are like that, obviously we're not thinking rational. But also, too, I think a big thing is, too, like with my reactive and detachment disorders, 
like it's really hard for me to really know like okay does this person care about me or are they just you know because everybody leaves at some point in your life they don't nobody stays forever but for people with reactive and detachment disorder like both my twin sister and i we feel the need that like once you're in our lives you have to be with us forever and if you leave it's because of us even though yes it will probably be not at all about us it could just be they're moving on to a new job or a new, you know, living environment, something. But to us, we take it so personal, you know, and it's very difficult. And a lot of people don't really understand that unless they go through it, having that reactive and detachment. Because to us, once we get to know someone, we're super attached. We're Sometimes we will quickly attach. Like, and it's actually not healthy. But to us, it's like, oh, they love us. Oh, they love, you know. But it's like, no, like, sometimes it's just like, you have to realize that they're going to move on at some point. And it's not just going to be because of me as an individual, they did that. But that's even why I have a really hard time, you know, having relationships. I can never keep relationships because even too, I've noticed I have this sense when someone's about to leave, like leave from my life. And I think that's what really is the most hardest part because then I like feel like, you know, I feel like almost like I have to have a revenge. Like you're doing this because of me. Like I hate you. You know what I mean? Um, but um, so after I had discharged, I was only at home for a month. And then I went back in, which was the four months, because that's when they decided that they wanted the behavioral tech staff to work because they had more professional, like they knew how to, better to deal with situations like that. Um, but once I left the hospital, my friend Kristen let me stay with her. She's like, you can stay with me until you can find a place or you can get back to your group home. Um, so, um, so when I got to her house, I got this message, this random message from this random dude. And he's like, I see, you know, Deanna Marie. I just wanted to let you know she um, got into a serious accident. So what happened with the whole George Floyd thing going on, um, she was doing a peaceful protest, and this guy legitimately was drunk and thought he could jump the barricade and actually hit her. And I was like, okay, like, this guy's just fucking with me. Because Deanna was actually a, a staff of mine, a friend, like mother, second mom, like everything to me. Um, she when she actually um, left the job just out of nowhere I actually had mentally broke down like I actually like was on the way to the hospital fighting the EMTs the police which is a was a normal thing for me because also being in an ambulance they have to put those like soft restraints on and that's even a trigger because it reminds me of when my mom would like bound me to the bench with duct tape so it was a very huge trigger and I couldn't like I couldn't deal with it. It was too much. And that's why I would fight the uh, EMTs and police. And they would usually have to um, um, shoot me up with ketamine, which that shit was great. But once you start getting off of it, oh, my God, it was hell. <laughs> like you become very agitated. I actually later on found out that people actually with PTSD, that is not good for them because it actually makes it worse like they're like 
moods like a lot worse than someone maybe not with PTSD. Um, but um, so then I message him back and I'm like, is she okay? And he's like, no, I'm sorry. She did not make it. I have not cried as much as I did ever in my life. I legitimately was crying every, like, I would stop for a few minutes and I would just re again. Um, and then, of course, my friend Kristen, she likes to be the top, like, oh, it's all about me thing. And it was too much for me. We're out smoking and she was doing that. And I'm like, I'm going to just go take a walk. And so, and this, t- and at this time, I was still talking to my ex or whatever. And um, I left. And I just needed to clear my head. All of a sudden, they have the police department right next to her place. I saw four squad cars going her way. I'm like, fucking bitch. This motherfucking bitch legitimately called the cops on me. Sure enough, I call her. She's like, you need to come here. Grab your shit. You got to leave. Um, if you try to do anything, like, the cops will deal with you. I'm like, bitch, what the fuck are you talking about? I went out for a walk. I'm sorry that I need to clear my head. Like, I'm going through a lot right now. She's like, I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right, fuck this. So I called the police and shit and talked to the officer who actually responded. He's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> she was actually trying to tell us to, like, remove you and your stuff. And we're like, okay, first of all, she ain't even here. Like, we can't remove someone who ain't even here. And so um, I ended up going back. I stayed only for a night. And then I ended up going to live with Louie, which is my ex. Um, it was all great, you know, at first, you know, all lovey-dovey. And then it was the one day that I told him no. And that's when he started putting his hands on me. And it just got worse from there. Um, he um, is a huge fentanyl user. Um, it actually fucked me up even just uh, being around it because I was, I like, I physically couldn't take the whatever the smell or whatever like you guys know what I'm trying to say like the stuff I don't know how to explain it but um he um he actually had choked me multiple times I actually had bruises on my jawline and one night he had choked me and that was when he left the bruises on my jawline and he actually tried killing me um um he I had a pocket knife that I had took the blade out and I put it to his chest I didn't stab him but I told him I should stab you in the heart that you don't have and I couldn't even with all the shit that he did and put his hands on me and all that stuff and trying to kill me like I just didn't have it in me to kill him I could have it would have been known as self-defense but I just couldn't because I had feelings for him and I knew that he was just another person who was lost and like I thought I could help him you can't help someone like that. They have to help themselves. And so we actually got into a struggle. And he actually had taken his hands and put it over my hands with the knife. And he actually had it pointing towards my abdomen. And also with my training in UMA, we're trained how to disarm, how to keep weapons from actually coming at you or into you. And he... I told him since day one, don't ever try to put your hands on me, bitch, because, like, I will legitimately win you over. Like, I don't give a fuck how tall you are, how big you are, how strong you are. I, like, will legitimately, like, show you, like, I've been trained to how to do this. I feel like he thought I was talking out of my ass. 
Well, he learned very quickly that I wasn't fucking around. Um, so luckily he never was able to stab me because of my strength and what I've been trained to do. Um, and then after that, the next day, um, I didn't have a job yet at his work, but I was just kind of there in case they needed help while I was getting my application through whatever. Well, after work, well, during the whole time at work, oh yeah, she stabbed me, trying to make me look like I'm the crazy one. Bitch, no. So <laughs> I ended up, um, so when we got, we were walking home, he was literally like, you remember about last night, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you do realize that if anything would have happened to you, I would have just told the police you tried killing yourself or you did kill yourself. I was like, wow. Like, because he already knew my history with self-harm and suicide attempts. And he was legitimately going to tell the police if anything would have happened that I was just doing it to myself. And so, um, so then um, when we got back home, he was taking his shirt off. And I'm like, babe, and I'm just trying to play it cool with him. Like, I'm like, babe, come here. I want to see this oh, horrible oh, stab wound that I apparently did to you. He's like, see, look, you guys, there was nothing. There was not even a scratch on his back. Like, he legitimately made me like I was the crazy one telling everybody I stabbed him. No. And I, and honestly, I did second guess myself. I'm not going to lie. I did second guess myself. Because also, too, when I get really angry, I don't think and stuff. And I just kind of do whatever. But I had a big feeling I did not do anything to him. I never stabbed him, nothing. I wanted to, but I never did. And so, um, I just, like, and because I had legitimately, and he's the one who said, get out of that group home. Like, you don't need to be there. You can come live with me. Like, and this was when everything was all grand and dandy. And it wasn't. And I legitimately lost a group home and my home to this monster. And so I, the reason why I kept staying there is because, like, that was literally my home or I would have been completely homeless. Well, one of, actually, you know him too, um, Amy, Nick. It was me and Louis, um, like buddy from the Nick hospital. Melbourne? Yeah, from the yeah. hospital. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he he because he was in treatment for his um his addiction, um he let us stay at his apartment. Well, um Louis put his hands on me another uh, again and said because I told him he can have the bus card. And I'm just like, bitch, you don't just get what you want because you, you like, just because I said no, like, no. And actually, he had thrown me on the couch, pinned me down, and I actually kicked him in the groin, which was perfect because he actually backed up. But I left and I went to the closest holiday, called the police. They came and took pictures. And then these people that I had known from Kristen had introduced me to these couple, Kyle and Christina. And I honestly thought they were good people. And yeah, I know Kyle was a little weird because he kept like having this big crush on me. And I'm like, whatever, like, you know, you're married, like, whatever. So I thought I was safe enough to go with them. And they agreed that I could stay at their place for a couple of days until I figured something out. Well, that same day that I got out of my abusive relationship, uh, Kyle sexually assaulted me. Um, 
And so then I'm like, and right before, like, cause like, like he was trying to get, do further than that. And I'm like, oh, I got to go use the bathroom. So I went to go use the bathroom and I waited till he went into the bedroom with Christina. And once I knew he was in there, I grabbed my backpack and I left. And I actually went to the closest park and I overdosed on all the medication. And I, again, started feeling the same way that I did just, like, in January. So I called the police. And I kept fighting and fighting until they showed up. And after that, I was like, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. Like, they're here, you know. Up. So I came out on a Tuesday. I didn't wake up until Friday. And apparently when I woke up, the nurse said, you do realize you had a massive seizure the day you came into the hospital. They actually had to call a dull cold blue, put me in the ICU for the night because they legitimately thought I was going to die. Um, apparently um, having the seizure, I had so much blood coming out of my mouth that they weren't sure if I was going to make it. Um, so Friday, I was not really, I, I was still like slurring my words and stuff, but, but by Saturday, I was cleared to go home. Well, I went back to Louie. And it was like a couple weeks after that. I was just like, I got, I, I need to go to a crisis home. I, I can't be here anymore, you know? And he's like, that's a good idea, you know? You know, you, you can get the help you need. So I went there. I went from the crisis home. I went to an earth facility. And then I went back to Louie. And then I did the same thing. And then I ended up going to crisis again. And then I ended up going to Willow Haven, which <laughs> it was good on some terms, but I definitely it, like the, I think the biggest thing I've struggled with is my self-harm and my irrational mindset when it just like if I start feeling something, I cut to like fix it. It's not fixing it. It's just escaping from whatever I'm dealing with and feeling. And I have to like keep realizing we, that. Like when we... Like when we want to escape, we drink or drug kind of thing, right? It's just something to numb the actual what you're actually feeling when you should really face it. And like, I'm not going to. So, yeah, can I ask you something? Yeah. Now, with you clearly have this long history of lots of traumatic events being institutionalized most of your life. Um, so never feeling safe, never feeling like you had roots or like, you know, whatever. Uh, and these are all, you know, ongoing, but have you overcome those things or are you still like actively struggling in those ways today? So I'm, with the self-harm I definitely is still struggle with that I'm actually doing a lot better I've been able to do better at like finding things to like distract myself versus just going straight to self-harm yes there's times where it's just too much um and I just legitimately cut myself um but um and I have like been like feeling suicidal too and it's just like something I don't know I feel like after those two last overdoses I knew it was God literally telling me this. It's not going to get easier from here. If you keep doing this, you're not going to make it. And I feel like if I ever overdose again, I'm either going into a coma or I'm going to be dead. And that's why I think whenever I am suicidal um, these days, like I just I think 
my body just reminds me of that somehow. Like, I don't know how, because sometimes I'm just so, like, in that moment. But I have noticed even, too, even with how much I feel that way, I just, I don't. And I usually just honestly just go to sleep because I'm so drained as it is. And I usually do feel better the next day. Actually, just a day yesterday, I actually took a mental health day. Actually, my first time really ever where I legitimately completely shut my whole phone off, did not fucking talk to nobody. Hmm. I just stayed to myself. Hey, cat. But I was like, you know what? What's up? Can I let you know something? That What's since up? I've known you, since I've known you with Riley, you have been doing so much better. I think Riley is a, a great distraction for you. Sometimes she can be a hormonal from your emotional trauma (laughs) and your self harm. And Riley is really good for you because she is a major distraction. I know she's a little shit sometimes, but she's (laughs) she's definitely a good distraction for you. Well, Kat, I think I just too. I want to let you know that I'm glad that you're here. Me too. And Thank you. Even if you don't feel that people care about you, and I know we don't really know you, so it's not going to feel the same, but we're glad you're here and there are people that care. So if you ever yep. feel like there are not people that care, there are. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. There's a reason that you're here still. So you've been through a lot and you've had a lot of hard times in your life. Um, but there's a reason you're still here. And I think that there's a lot more left for you to do and I know that some days it's really hard to get through the day but if you just get through the day the sun will rise tomorrow and it might look a little bit different so just one day at a time one hour at a time one minute at a time one second at a time yeah well and are you noticed (laughs) the other night I even noticed the other night I was just feeling like absolute shit and I was like when I got to my apartment, because I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I was like, fuck this. I'm going to cut myself. Like, But then I was just like, when I got to my apartment, I, I legitimately, I'm a, I'm a, I have really bad OCD. I have to keep everything clean. And, um, and I just started like cleaning. Like I started scrubbing the floors. Like I was vacuuming. Like I felt better. Like, and I was actually super proud of myself. And that's another thing I have to keep reminding myself like even those smallest things and like that was even another a good step to not going straight to self-harm like doing something that I enjoy that I'm gonna feel better about and it made me feel better it made me feel good that I and sometimes I don't I'm I'm my own hardest critic like uh, majorly because even too if someone says something I feel like it's my fault if I do something and I should have been like quote-unquote better like, I, I'm just, I'm always, <clears throat> like, hating myself for things, you know? I also deal with a really bad eating disorder. Um, I, I actually learned that um, it was not from the teenage years. It was actually when I was adopted or, like, in the orphanage. So, apparently, some of us kids would eat and other kids, like, if when we didn't eat, the other kids would eat. And so we actually, by the time we were four years old, we were not the appropriate four-year-old weight. Um, and they, the doctors actually had my family, my parents, like, force feed us until we got to that appropriate weight. 
So that's actually where my eating disorder all came from. And that's the same thing for beds. Like we didn't all get to sleep in a bed. Like some of us legitimately had to sleep on the floor. And I think that's why even when I was like in the seclusion room, I would just pass out like no problem. And the staff would be like, how? Most people are like, can I get my mattress? Can I get my pillow? Like I will legitimately just pass out like nothing. And I think that that's kind of what happened to me too, where I legitimately didn't have a bed. And we would have to sleep on the floor. And it was comfortable to me. Shit. I know this sounds crazy, but I could even sleep on the highway. And it would be no problem. Like, it's it's sad to have to say that because everyone should have a bed to sleep in. But that was not the case. Well, that's, the, and, that's not the reality of the world either. Not everybody has one. You know, right. Like, exactly. I mean, I'm... I'm really grateful that you came on too and, and that you shared so openly and honestly. I also want to extend the invitation to you. I mean, it sounds like you're well aware of the resources that are available for you, but if you, because you're from Minnesota, right? You live in Minnesota? No, I'm from Russia. She but lives I, in I mean, you live in Minnesota? Yeah, yep. Right, that's what I'm talking about. So if you need help finding any resources... I'm more than happy to help point you in the right direction or help in any way I can. So you can uh, continue to face this myriad of issues that you have and, and overcome them over time. You know, it's, it's a process and it's a journey, not a destination. So um, we, we are running really long, so we need to wrap this up. Yeah. But I want to, it's, it's almost 10 30 my time too. So. Holy yeah. Shit. So I, I don't want to think let... that we don't care don't do that we didn't want to hear. No, I have to work in the morning. Well, you um, guys can do that on your and own. I haven't time. eaten yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even eaten dinner yet. But I do appreciate that you you came on, and I am grateful that you're still here. And I think that I hope that you realize that you know, as a child, you went through some really hard things that caused a lot of this stuff in the long run, you know, like, you know, when, when you're in an orphanage before the age of four, those attachment issues, that's where it starts. It's not your fault. You know, if you get attached or she, like you are set up for that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But, but there is hope you're still here and, and recovery is possible. And like, like you said, you're doing better every day and life is going to look completely different if you continue to, do a little better every day or just stay in the same place and then get better. You know, like as long as yeah. you don't backtrack, life will look completely different in a little while. When I was sick in my addiction cat, life was ugly. I didn't want to live in that icky stuff, but now I've been yeah. sober for 19 months. Life is absolutely beautiful. Just look around you. Look at the snow. Look at the trees, the birds. Well, and that's you know, the thing too. It's like, beautiful. You already know this, Amy, but um, I actually am finally in my own place. Um, where I want to be, the city I want to be, like, and it's like I am like trying to keep hold that on. Like, you know, I'm finally in a place I want to be. And you're right, Amy. Riley is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Yes, she can be a little yep. shit sometimes. But I love her to death, and I feel like it keeps me on my toes. She definitely keeps me on my toes, but at least it helps me kind of know that I'm looking after her and not just me. 
and just making sure, you know, she's getting everything she provides. Oh, and you guys, I got her to be on a leash the first time ever. Actually did pretty amazing her first time. Cute little shit. But I'm working because she is my emotional support. I'm working on um, getting her used to the leash because I want to be able to bring her places. And so I want her to get used to, you know, and so, but obviously with how cold it is, I've been trying to like not bring her out too much. But right now she's laying right on the, my pillow, just sleeping. So it just, yeah. it, it actually felt very comforting that when I started talking to you guys, um, she just came and lay down and just, it, it just, she's such a little love bug, you know? And so, yeah, you are right, Amy. Like she is the world to me and it's it's i think that's also that helps me keep on my toes and it's just exciting like when i do get home and like she's she's very vocal um she's like and i'm like hi you know it's just it's just nice to know that's like she's excited to see mom and like she's eager to you know be with me like and it's just i think that you know it's gonna i still have a long road to go but i think that as long as i keep trying to push myself to look at the positives because I'm a very negative person just looking at the positives and really looking at you know what I have what how things are going and I'm going to tell you guys right now with how well I've been even doing my family has started to open up to me more like they're trying to accept me and I I can feel it and that's just it makes me feel more knowing that I feel good about it and it's just sad because like I did spend a lot of years away from them and now I'm just showing them, like, I want to make up those years. And I think they're starting to see that, like, my progress, like, you know, just even the fact that, you know, I told my dad today, I'm like, yesterday I had a mental health day. One of my first times, just completely had my phone off. And he's like, yeah, we all need that sometimes. And the fact that he validated me about that felt fucking amazing because they don't do that a lot. And so even the smallest things they do makes me happy. You know, and so I just think that, you know, as long as I keep pushing forward and keep trying to, you know, stay positive and motivated, I think, you know, things are going to get better. And I think the more that I find other things rather than just going straight to my fix, like, mm -hmm. I think that I'm just going to get I'm going to heal faster and I'm going to become even more of a stronger person than I already am today. Yes, you so will. I think that's the perfect way to end it i, I couldn't think of a, yeah. a more perfect way yeah so i want to say thank you both for coming and i i you're welcome love meeting thank you amy and she's the one who invited me well, thank you, thank you amy. amy thank you Pat. for inviting cat you're welcome, you're and, welcome. Thanks, <laughs> and thanks to both of you for being brave and sharing with us i'm gonna drop you guys off so i can do this closing segment but we appreciate you guys and you know Glad to know you now. So, got a it's friend. Me, yeah. Yep. Hey, Jason, do you mind if I add you on Facebook? Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. All right. Cool, cool. All yeah. right. Guys, have a good night. Get some sleep. Yep, good night. Make sure you eat. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, that was an amazing show. Surprise guest. Two stories in one night. That's a twofer for you guys. And it was a longer one, uh, obviously, because nobody's, I, don't, I think we have one viewer. Uh, but anybody that's listening uh, or listened to all of this, I hope that you uh, got something out of it. And I just want to make it known 
that the suicide prevention hotline changed to 988. So anywhere you live in the United States, you can easily access 24-7 emotional support. Call or text 988 or visit 988lifeline.org. Chat to chat with a caring counselor. They are here for you. You do not have to go through these things alone. I hope that you will turn to that resource before uh, before you take that bottle of pills or before you, you know, put that gun in your mouth or cut yourself. Um, I appreciate the vulnerability that Kat had to share all of that stuff. I know it's not easy. And uh, I just would ask that everybody has... Um, Takes if you can take a moment to just lift Cat in your prayers that she would continue on this journey of wellness and and uh, find solutions that help her overcome these things. And then congrats again to Brett and Chrissy on baby jewels. Look at that sweet little thing. She's a sweet baby. Yeah. Jules Magnolia Morris. She's a sweetie pie. Uh, if you like what you heard tonight, we are on YouTube or you can look right here on this page, Recovery Revolution Live, or on any of your podcast platforms. It's also released as an audio podcast. Just look for Recovery Revolution Live. I have a podcast, The Way Out Podcast. Uh, me and my buddy Charles have been doing it for a while. 329 episodes currently of recovery stories and recovery power topics to help you find or strengthen your recovery. We also have a playlist that's exclusively on Spotify. It's called the way out playlist. It's a curated list of all of our great guests and their picks for uh, what song reminds them or symbolizes recovery to them. Actually, I looked the other day when I was adding my most recent uh, guests song on there and it's now over eight hours of music. Wow. Uh, Brett has his own podcast, Recovery Survey. It's little bite-sized morsels, chunks of recovery for you, for your listening pleasure, people sharing their stories. JR, who is with us most of this show, he is the author of The Addiction Manifesto. Check out that book. It's available at Barnes & Noble or on Amazon. And we just really appreciate you guys coming on with us tonight. And... Uh, every week when you do and i hope you got something out of tonight i really do thanks for being here everybody and uh yeah with that i'm gonna say goodbye let's see where's the outro music uh